5678. Hello and welcome to a new episode of 5678, a podcast about dance training. My name is Rebecca Berstold and uh, together with today's guest, Theo Klinkard. Hello. Welcome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for joining. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm in the middle of a really enjoyable week teaching Nordance, you guys. And I just wrote an email to my friend just now, like, I feel like I got a bit of love back for dancing. That's <laughs> and I needed it. I think somehow this period has uh, untethered a lot of us from what we normally do. And some of that's needed. But um, yeah, I kind of on some level forgot what I do and why I love it. And today that's, or this week that's been confirmed again, which is really needed. Great. Thank you. Yeah, we're in Hennesand uh, <laughs> at Nordans, where I work as a dancer and you're giving morning training this week. Yeah. Yeah. And let's start. My mm. first question to get into your background is how did you start to dance? Yeah. Um, so I'm from the southwest of England, a place called Cornwall. Um, it's a real peninsula down there. It's really quite far from London, for example. Um, and I kind of knew this was going to be one of the questions. So I was thinking about it. And uh, I was thinking as a kid, I was really creative. But dance was just one part of that mix. And a lot of my earlier memories are of um, making puppets and masks and making with my hands. Um, and it's quite hard because we can tell these narratives and we start to edit out things unconsciously and somehow I'm like I think this is the truth I mean maybe there's just no truth it's just what I remember is I had a book of Sleeping Beauty which had really beautiful illustrations I think a Russian illustrator um, and it was called The Thorn Rose and really incredible costume designs and you know the the evil witch fairy and things like that were really uh, exciting to me and what happened was, I think it was Royal Ballet, maybe Birmingham Royal Ballet, which would have been called Saddler's Wells in the 80s, uh, Saddler's Wells Royal Ballet, I think, um, came to my local city, Plymouth, and um, did a production of Sleeping Beauty. So I think there must have been this connection of like seeing my book come to life on stage. So it was a big ballet production that kind of triggered something. And again, there's the big nasty witch fairy and it's like basically Anthony Dow this famous male ballet dancer in drag um, and I think the kind of theatricality of that um, was really exciting to me as a little kid and who was always dressing up myself and as well as this so basically what happened from there is that my parents were like if you want to do this is called ballet and if you want to do ballet there's a once a week class you can do and I was really lucky that nearby was a brilliant teacher called Bridget Albraxton and she led a very kind of like creative I'd say creative it was a class that we didn't choreograph I don't mean creative in that sense really but just a kind of inspiring teacher who was you know uh, kind of ignited something for a lot of us and by the time I left because I then went away to ballet school I'll come back to that in a moment but by the time I left there was about 12 boys and this is kind of pre-Billy Elliot which for example in England had a real big effect on I think boys getting into ballet um, so in the early 80s to have that many boys in a kind of very rural ballet school was quite amazing 
So there was something about the fact that this was a once a week training, which felt in a way far from the spectacle of that show. So I think I really had to kind of understand something about discipline. And um, I actually do remember taking these kind of grades, which were uh, the RAD exams and really scraping through. Like I must've been pretty bad at skipping, <laughs> pretty bad at like pointing my toes, like quite basic stuff, like how hard can it be? <laughs> but somehow I scraped through and then I went to, um, uh, I went away to ballet school at 11, actually quite a young age. I now realize at the time it was just exciting and it meant I didn't need to go to the sporty local comprehensive school which was very big, for example. So I auditioned for Elmhurst and Royal Ballet, and um, I think that was it. And yeah, I went to Elmhurst for five years where I was doing, um, so it was a boarding school, like quite far from where I lived. Um, ballet, jazz, tap, modern, flamenco, acting, singing. I mean, it was a ballet school, but we had lots of different classes. Um, and it was, yeah, an incredible place to be like really immersed in what you loved. Um, so the other kind of, I will come back to that kind of more formal training, but the other thing that was happening is my parents were part of a group of people in the, I guess, late 70s, early 80s, who formed a festival. So not quite like Glastonbury, but it was called Elephant Fair, and it was kind of music, art, dance, um, lots of bands, like I remember seeing kind of punk bands on my dad's shoulders and stuff like this but there was lots of kind of really experimental outdoor theater dance performance like I couldn't even now find the terminology for it but I got exposed to a lot of stuff which was not conventional so whilst I was doing this once a week training there these other glimmers of like there's ways of performing that's theatrical but it's not like musical theater or these things we're familiar with on stages and I think that the impact of that um kind of presents itself more and more somehow like I also remember as another tangent my primary school so not my dance school took us to a dance workshop where we had to be water and we had to be fire and I remember it being like the best afternoon of my life as a kid I was just like totally immersed transported like uh to be with a load of kids just like I guess embodying improvisation so being in much wider creative parameter than this kind of once a week discipline that I was doing and I think I oscillate now between the I mean you can see from my class I oscillate between these kind of like oh there's a kind of discipline and a rigor in this way and then there's a discipline and a rigor in this kind of other way but it allows this kind of space for you for difference and um, experimentation um, and I do think that these early experience we have of dance or the entry point stays with us and they're different for everyone but somehow that they're like a blueprint for the rest of your engagement with that art form after Elmhurst <clears throat> I went to a school called Romber so I got into Royal Ballet Upper School which was like the holy grail of like dance classical dance training and um, so lots of people, not my parents, they were kind of really open, but lots of people around me were like, this is it. This is amazing. You've got in. I did two classes and I was like, get me out. Like, I will not survive. My body is not built for this. Um, and it was this really kind of like hard Russian training. And I was just like, I know I'll give up or I'll be injured. <laughs> and they had said to me in the audition, like, 
I suppose we'll give you a place, but if you want to do anything modern, you really should go somewhere else, you know? So it was this kind of begrudging offer. And I was like, I think there's a bit, it triggers something in me. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to swear on your podcast, but you know, it was all there. This kind of <coughs> 15 year old who was like, right, I'm going to do what I want then. Um, so I went to a brilliant place called Rombert School, which at the time was not affiliated. So it wasn't a degree course. Um, it was, uh, I guess, a diploma. Um, and a really small, focused training. We had lots of Cunningham, lots of ballet, Graham, and then this occasional release technique. Um, no improvisation that I can remember. Um, but just a very, uh, we use this term family, maybe not always in a healthy way, but I think that it did feel like you were held well mm. um, and yeah, I mean, I, I now kind of like lament the fact I didn't have any theory. I didn't have any writing or any of that intellectual rigor. And I think I'm finding ways through my life that that can be part of my development. But that wasn't fostered at a young age. So I really went into being like a jobbing dancer, like moving around different projects. I'm going to pause for breath because I realize with these things, I just don't stop <laughs> gabbling. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> So that's the kind of training, I suppose, yeah. into the industry. Nice. Um, yeah, thinking about all of this dance training, could you mention some things that you feel grateful for that dance mm. training has taught you? Um, the dance training has taught me. I, it's interesting. I can think of... I get quite emotional, like sometimes we see TV adverts for teachers and sometimes I just, I find it kind of really overwhelming because I realize how like key individuals are so important, like certain conversations you have or the potential someone sees in you, like they can be transformative and they might just be a passing comment or it might be just one sentence that was written about what you did. And um, I think that Yeah, I suppose it's it's really nice to be reminded of the impact you can have, actually, if you're teaching that um, I think that goes through your career, not even just teaching students, but um, it might be just, yeah, these kind of little moments. So not necessarily a certain uh, discipline, but like I can think of like my flamenco teacher was to this day the most passionate teacher I've ever met. I mean, she was just like she would go above and beyond and be so invested in all her students. And she died last year, actually. And I think the impact from our Facebook group from that school, you know, the amount of outpouring of people who were just really floored by the fact that she died. And I think that I hadn't really expected that. But then suddenly it made me reflect on her impact. Um, Cheryl Wexler, incredible. Um, And it's not like I'm practicing flamenco now, but something about how she led the room, the firm but kind thing, like really like very, um, I don't mean firm in this kind of like nasty, unhealthy way. I mean, just like she had a bar mm. and expected you to get there and encouraged you. So I think something about this rigor and discipline um, was incredible and then for example another teacher Stuart Beckett took me aside and was like I'd choreographed something and he saw real potential or saw what it did for me to be doing that and sat down brought a load of VHS tapes in and like 
we're going to watch a load of different dance works together. And I think he got excited to share with me these um, quite seminal works like, I don't know, NDT and things like this, which I were not in my frame, were not was something I could see on stage. And I think I always have to remind younger dancers that like pre-internet, pre-YouTube, like all you knew was what your teacher said. All you knew was what pieces came to your town. <laughs> and I guess there were libraries. I just wasn't in the practice of using them, but um, it was a very different time. So what things had to come your way, I suppose. Um, so yeah and i think there was like at romba there was like a real spirit there was something about this school at the time that yeah i think you'd call it a bit hippie but then it was also like the classical teachers were doing their thing and i don't know there was a kind of uh, a softness a looseness a room to kind of grow in your own way didn't feel competitive when i was there um there's something so interesting about what Becky Hilton says on her episode with your podcast about this time when it wasn't about self-expression. So we weren't on Instagram improvising, trying to find our voice at the age of like, as a teenager, you know, it was like, it was a lot was handed over through that training to what the teacher thought and how they reflected on what you were doing. Mm. Um, so it was a very different time. And I think there is a real pressure now somehow to carve out an identity and to to know or to demonstrate and perform your thinking um, at quite an early stage. So yeah, again, it was the 90s. Mm. <laughs> I feel like I'm from, mm. not a dinosaur, but I feel like I'm from another era somehow. And, and in that sense- But do you experience that difference now, like as a teacher? How How is that with your students? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, uh, I, I guess I'm someone who doesn't go back in my day we did this and hold it in high esteem. It's like, that was what we were busy with then. Things have really changed. The context has really changed. Like even just social media as a context means that dance is already affected. It's available in different ways or it, it's not solely in a theater or for those who can afford that, for example. So the whole context changes, the art form changes, the questions are different. And I think that I think there's a real risk actually if we're talking about kind of wider training that there are people out there who are um haven't processed something about their own career that can be it can be problematic if you're holding on to what you did and when you did it as a as a higher or um uh in higher esteem somehow so i feel like my teaching is mostly about letting go of what's not needed anymore what's not relevant anymore and being open to to listen and observe to what demands are made of dancers now because it wasn't the case i wasn't like singing at school on stage but you know i've asked dancers to do that i see dancers like even you guys i could hear you singing earlier here today and i was like oh yeah does that then form part of a contemporary dance training like the demands are so wide or the invites are so wide now that yeah i mean it's a massive massive topic and yeah. i find it fascinating um so yeah i think the shift from then to now like i didn't have any improvisation didn't have any somatic practice it was very much training the body um and sometimes i think about that concept in of itself is like so was the body wrong <laughs> did it 
Did it need sculpting or is it just about strength somehow? Like almost like beating your body into the right shape, getting the leg to the right place. And I'm talking maybe a bit more about ballet, but I think it does kind of bleed through into kind of more formal dance training um, in contemporary or modern, if you like. Mm -hmm. So I think now is like there's a lot more awareness of like even just, yeah, even if people aren't calling it somatic train teaching they are maybe using the senses or even just an understanding of gravity or you know i feel like it was it was right on the cusp i mean we were there was i just love this subject <laughs> <laughs> i remember at school we had the classes that we had and then i always think with any cohort any year group there's the culture inside of the class so there's the class and what training you're given and then there's the group and what they develop and that can be many different things like at seed it's like we improvise till 9 p.m no matter what because we are da, 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 da. and i remember at my school this would have been like 94 5 96 there were about five of us who realized we needed more like release technique um we needed uh, this kind of like sequential training like it all felt quite recent suddenly it was like oh we we need to be up to date so we would go to the place we'd go to another school on the Sunday and do this one class and it was only because it was like a gang of us who were like had registered this by watching a lot of performances that we realized that we were a little bit out of date or something mm -hmm. so we supported each other and I think it's really fascinates me how this is this is why like one year group can be so different to the next because it needs like it might need like the joker the one who's like really proactive the one who like gets online and books the tickets for other people you know like what are the ingredients of a gang that support each other inside of a year group um so yeah i suppose uh i think there are just m massive shifts to the better you know in dance training and i'm not someone who holds on to how things used to be. I think that lots of problematic, semi-abusive practices have been, I wouldn't call them practices, you know, just like bad teaching where a dancer has like had to give up their career and moves into teaching begrudgingly and then is like playing the power card, which they were subject to. So I'm hope I'm I feel like that's slowly a dying form. I was gonna say art form then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think it is one, but I feel like we're moving beyond this. And I think that, you know, I'm really always been vocal advocate, even, you know, when I was a dancer for the agency of the dancer and recognition for the dancer's career in and of itself, as opposed to a, um, a facilitator or instrument of the choreographer only. So I think dancer run projects like this podcast, I'm like always really behind. And I think that even just seeing like collectives in England, we have like, the yonis and mass hysteria and other groups who are like working collectively and thinking differently about yeah how work is created who creates it rejecting kind of certain tropes or expectations around like a named choreographer this hierarchy um mm. so yeah i think that i'm really yeah, I'm just passionate about dancers having space and being able to talk about their experience and take, yeah, initiate, you know. And I did run a duet company as a dancer before I ever choreographed anything. Me and a friend got together, Antonio Grove, and we ran a company called Probe. And it was us as dancers running the joint, uh, commissioning choreographers, 
fundraising, tour booking. Um, so yeah, flipping. And we weren't the first to do it. I'm not saying it was radical, but it felt like as a dancer, I was able to start initiating my, uh, yeah, leading my career, um, guiding it. And for choreographers, it was a great opportunity to come in and be uh, creating work on two people who had both asked you to be there, you know, different from a rep company. It's like the performers, both of them <laughs> invited you. So no one is convinced to do anything. Mm. <laughs> um, and it was a great structure. And I really like advocate for that. I've been in conversation with a few people who've done something similar since. And yeah, I, I'm all up for reinvention. I think if it's a contemporary art form, then we need to be in the process of like, okay, it's time for that to go. Like what next? Or what questions are different to the questions we asked? Um, so it's not about fitting into a mold or reproducing. It's like the molds don't even exist. And it's for the terms themselves to be rewritten with each new generation. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Um, I read this text that you wrote uh -huh. and in there I found some words for one of the things that I feel very grateful for mm. um, and you wrote that dance requires my body when so little else does <laughs> like to be in so many situations and rooms where it's like you get confronted with this fact that you're a body and you realize how rarely that actually happens and i just thought it was a beautiful mm. like ah, i know that yeah what uh, where did it come from for you i'm just trying to think something i wrote a couple of years ago i suppose the more that you're around involved in organizing dance or other projects the more static we are the more we're at a laptop i mean i really have this issue with my laptop at the moment i'm like i begrudgingly respond to emails even if they're the sweetest emails i'm like i just don't want to be beholden to my keyboard you know and i suppose things like that um uh yeah and, and maybe i'm like because i'm not dancing regularly at the moment i'm i'm trying to take get back into the practice of taking class, like joining other people's class, because I really craved this. And I think through lockdown, for example, it's a perfect example of like how, I was about to say like, I'm not sporty. Like I did start going to the gym, but it was like the most unnatural thing for me to do. I don't really go for runs in the woods like some other people do, but my my preference in terms of like being in my body is to be dancing. You know, it gives me something, it, it, mm, it gives me time. <laughs> But it also like flies by because I'm in a creative headspace rather than like, oh, I need to like get active or feel like a uphill struggle. It's like it starts to like it only takes me five minutes of moving for something to trigger and for me to get excited. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe other people, they find other ways of being in their body, other ways to be physical. But I think that um, dance is the best <laughs> because it feels like it's in a kind of creative space somehow it's play it feels like play it doesn't feel like work you know um yeah. yeah i'm also like really thankful for that dance training is this i feel that in different practices i get to perceive my body in so many different ways yeah 
and you said in class that do you experience your body as a collection of parts or one lump <laughs> like when we did uh, some um, yeah. partner work and that sort of shifts between actually experiencing oh now I, I feel like one lump <laughs> and now I'm collection of parts I like those kind of shifts and also experiencing how situational that uh, yeah experience of my body is it's incredible I think if you start your day listening to the body then you realize it's a totally different makeup every day like in terms of where I don't even words don't do it justice but like how emotional you feel if you feel soulful if things feel grand or epic or like um, pointless or if you feel social like if you're noticing the other dancers or if you're like I just need to curl up in the corner if you want music if you want to meditate if you need a dance party like every day is really different and I feel like I don't know if I don't know any of the science behind it but like I feel like that becomes more extreme the older I get I feel like when I was a younger dancer it was like come in and just start with the body and just get it going and now I'm like oh my god it's radically different from the outset so then if you add into that how you how we draw in our imagination um to to perceive your body differently but you know different invites from maybe other people to consider that makeup even just a collection of parts or a lump I remember like shall I use the word lump and I was like <laughs> yeah lump <laughs> sometimes it does feel lumpy but yeah how you can like we were also playing today with like different material different ideas of materiality in the body of like rubber or fixed or like falling and and those things feel so real and uh concrete i think it's um it's amazing i suppose more and more that i work the more i'm interested in not just the body but like the mind and the body and the imagination and the desire and how our sense of ourselves can shift radically and that might be useful for just for the mover but it can also be kind of bring yourself into kind of creative work and performance um so i think more and more the uh the engagement of your attention together with a body awareness and and interest you know um makes radical things happen that nothing else does that that i that i am engaged in you know it does that for me and it's still doing it for me like i'm 44 i turned 45 this year i started dancing when i was six and even though I'm the kid that like scraped by the ballet exams at the age of six, seven, it's like, I'm still here. I'm still curious. And I think that it, something about the art form and being around younger dancers and new thinking keeps me being reinvested in it. And it might lull, like it might come and go. I might be busy doing design work or something like that, but it's, uh, it keeps tapping, it keeps itching me. You know, it's like, I'm still here. <laughs> You know, you might be like an old floppy hippie now, but like something keeps me engaged in it, you know. Something else that we worked with in class was that you talked about a hot spot, like mm. when when a part of a movement becomes uh, very dominant. And yeah. I feel that especially learning set material that yeah. you can get so focused on like that the hand is moving that you forget that it's a full full body movement yes and yeah. i thought it was a nice word also to call it a hot spot yeah but uh, how do you work with that 
I suppose it makes me think a little bit about. So we were looking at some material which I would call a bit Trisha Brownie. <laughs> I try to kind of, you know, reference people when I can, like that we're directing bones, I suppose, in the space and. Uh, I might be like, oh, the elbow does this or it leads you here. And then immediately I'm drawing attention to just this one point on the body. And um, I suppose I was just reminding myself and everyone else that everything else exists. The skull is still there. You're still dealing with gravity. There's still the opposite side of the body that whilst that might be, yeah, this hot spot that we keep a sense of the architecture of the whole body somehow so that shift in direction or everything else still is available to you so how to deal with how to keep in a place of potentiality even though you're kind of going this is the main event it's not the only event <laughs> um, and then what I start to see like after talking about that there's a real shift in everyone's movement that there was a I don't know it became way more interesting and I remember trying to go like what is it what is it as you're watching people dance like and maybe again, it's beyond language, or it's not any one thing. Um, but I think it puts the body into a place of um, dimensionality again, and and risk. And I think this is like I was chatting to someone who was talking about how Trisha Brown Company are struggling at the moment, and you know what's going to happen to the company. I suppose with a lot of these companies, as the choreographer passes. What is the legacy and how does it continue? And I was thinking about the amount of incredible information in her work and from those dancers particularly. Um, and I know Klein technique is something that's really informed a lot of those American postmodern dancers' um, sense of themselves or their practice. Um, and like, I get so scared about like the information, for example, around backspace, like how to engage the back surface of your body as you move or move from it or with it. Um, what happens to that teaching that fades out, something else takes over perhaps. And I suppose there's me saying like, I don't hold on to like old trainings, but like now I'm clearly, there's certain things that feel really useful or radically shift someone's dancing, you know, so from someone who's teaching and making, watching and trying to think about the next useful thing to say to deepen the experience for the mover um i just have a thing about backspace because like we spend most of our time yeah like i said emailing driving with our front surface eating with our front surface that to bring kind of dimensionality back into the body yes there's this hot spot but how does that affect you how does that in relation to the rest of you including this kind of idea of the backspace or know gravity or other parts of you um also so it's not just like my elbow leads and like look at my elbow yeah yeah it makes <laughs> like, me think like the whole of you exactly what how to like teach a phrase like not oriented from the hotspots yeah <laughs> like you make a huge movement with your arm but just like and my knee is bending <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. how would yeah how and i would think that, that be well i've and I remember doing it for like just the first five seconds of leading that phrase. It was like, oh, I won't talk because then you're looking at the whole. And I think I need to learn to be much more rigorous with things like that. Like I'm just going to show the whole thing repeatedly without talking, without directing your attention to one specific body part. But can you take in the whole? There might be things that I didn't, I'm not even aware of. Mm -hmm. that I'm not like in the, they're not even that conscious. Um, 
that are key for someone else to enter into that movement. So it's interesting, like the the reducing of physicality through the lens of language, what gets lost, like what is what is useful about it, but then also like when when does it hinder? Mm. You know? Because obviously a million things are going on at once <laughs> if you're sharing some material. And I suppose I kind of want to say like it's what's been nice about this week is I really challenged myself to go back into sharing material and making from my body. And it's something that I've resisted for a while. Um, aware that I'm a white cis man and, you know, like what does it mean to put my own body in the room um, rather than deal with tasks or verbal cues or games or practices that I'm explaining um, rather than demonstrating but it's been a real joy to for one get back into my own body and see what what's there at the moment and what I want to share and how I would explain it um, and to remind myself of the value from my earlier training of following other people or trying to digest movement which isn't maybe your natural coordination and how that then opens up your own palette um, and I think that that's something that's quite a central tenet for me is like how to expand your palette of options you know so you might be able to flex that muscle of picking up material but then also be embodying ideas in the way that another maker or teacher requires of you so that you're and everything in between and beyond you know like that you're widening especially in a repertory context you know in a rep company you don't know who the next person's going to come through the door and what they're going to ask of you and at the moment like i said earlier it's like it's so broad what might be asked and um who might be commissioned um it's probably includes work that we wouldn't even have thought of calling dance when I was training, you know, be like, oh, that's performance art, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it, the scope of it is so broad. Mm. It's exciting. Yeah. Mm. Something that I'm kind of uh, lost with, I don't know, but like, wondering about is like a lot of ideas about inside and outside and my experience and of dancing and doing something in front of an audience and being in class or being on stage and like mm -hmm. and we talked a little bit about it yeah uh, in class also like to you said like i'm here and this is my experience and we talked about like remaining in this uh, situation and you described that you have had a, that you'd experienced a shift mm. in terms of how to bring your experience into a performance situation I think yeah could you tell a bit about this yeah I think probably what I remember talking about was a bit uh, at some point in my training somebody saying to not indulge like to the to the whole year group like don't indulge or this being some kind of given. I don't remember someone specifically saying it, but then considering yourself as a kind of vessel for the choreographer's voice to be like a messenger for the audience, like to, I wouldn't even say embody, but to like demonstrate <laughs> their moves rather than, so yeah, almost skimming your own experience. And I suppose the more that I've danced or that as I go into making work and I observe people performing in my own 
studio contexts, um, like trying to bring them into the foreground. So the person, perhaps, the human, uh, as well as being a dancer, but foremostly like, can I see Rebecca while you're doing that? How do you make yourself visible? And I think that there's this kind of, of course it's possible to be indulgent, but there's a way in which you can register and give value to your experience as you move and make that a an enriching process so that the you of the thing isn't denied, even though it might be someone else's work. Um, and it might not be, you know, I'm also interested in like, working in other ways with the focus, for example, that it might not just be about like, how is Rebecca always visible? <laughs> but I, I'm often interested in that, but I've also played with it's very opposite. Like, how can you deny that? How can you embody something much more object-like, if you like? Um, but I think what can happen in training is that we talk about, and less, less so now, but I'm, I'm mapping that change that that's an afterthought, like get the material, then think about performance. And I suppose as I teach, I'm trying to integrate our seeing of the world, our seeing of our environment as part of our understanding of the body so that your not just your eyeballs, but your, your vision, your gaze is articulated and talked about and included in class, um, not in a kind of like, oh, we're suddenly performing way, but that it affects even just on a physiological level, it affects your spine, like how your eyes are engaged with what you're doing, shifts how the skull is on the spine, which then shifts everything else b below it, you know? So it's it's a even a, a postural ergonomic thing to be conscious of some of that. Um, so, and I think there is a way when I see kind of like indulgent dance, I see this kind of like, I always think of like this kind of shady eyelids, like you're presenting me with your eyelids as you dance and you're assuming that I'm interested in what your body's doing. But maybe for me and maybe as a taste thing, I'm just like, where's the person gone? Like, yeah, 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 your body can do a million amazing kind of articulate things. But like at the end of the day, I suppose for me personally, I, I enjoy watching movement. I enjoy some of the most abstract things or, you know, like repetition and, you know, to be in that, uh, I'm just kind of saying like rather than theatrical or like narrative stuff, as is huge in the UK, as always at the moment, like I can watch something very simple, but I kind of desire to see the person doing it. And I think that might be a shift from what I experienced in my 90s training, which was like, we might be dealing with something quite formal, but the assumption is that your body is in like, the shape or the form of the body is what's important. And I'm now interested in, yes, the shape and the form, but the person being visible while they're doing it. And maybe that's the first thing I want to sense. And I really remember a massive shift, 2014, I was teaching in Sydney, and Leah Morojevic, who was in that two hour workshop, who then, came to work with me, became my best mate. We've collaborated together a lot. But I remember the first time I saw her move, I was like, at no point was she not Leah. And she was doing everything that everyone else was doing, but somehow because she understood her, the potential of bringing her focus and her person into her work, um, she had all these choices. She could, you know, she could withdraw that, but she understood what it was doing rather than this, I'm a, I'm a body serving the material somehow. And I was like, from that moment on, I was like, okay, I need to figure out what this is. Like, what is it about 
where your vision goes not it's not even just to your eyes but like your experience of the space being given attention to so that you're not um i think dancing can be like armor i think you can hide while you dance <laughs> i suppose and i've talked about this in class a bit like to not use material as a way of like disappearing unless you choose to do that but rather than these things being default um like here's my amazing body i'm like oh how can you what do we need to do what do we need to practice to bring the person into the foreground and i think a lot of dancers are shy and i think a lot of really good dancers are shy but they've figured out what to do about it and how to like show up um so it's not even really about like showing off or or being confident i think it's just really understanding what your habit is with your gaze for example and then making choices around what you want to do about it and what's suitable for different work for example mm. and i also remember reading like great bits of writing chris parkinson talking about working with deborah hay and working with Anto teresa de kiersmacher and the different ideas of what i want you to look there because i want to see you looking there versus like look as you move, look, <laughs> you know? So like whether it's a design thing for the outside, for the viewer, or whether it's something which is to feed your doing, you mm -hmm. know, um, and both are available and equal. But um, for as a, as a dancer, it's understanding what you're including that and how in different contexts, that's what's required, you know, of you. The first class we had on uh, Monday, yeah, you uh, had a little speech before <laughs> about uh, not feeling the need to demonstrate for you as a teacher. Oh yeah, um, and not maybe being the good student that shows that mm. you do what the teacher said. Um, could you talk a bit about that and maybe your <coughs> role then as a teacher? Mm. Gosh. <laughs> I mean, the first thing is it reminds me of my current practice of like not being the good emailer. Like I was being, I spent the last 10 years like, I must get back to the email. I must like show that I'm eager or like f a kind of weird fear-based momentum around like getting through the admin stuff so that you're perceived to be like the keen, interested, obedient choreographer. And I think that something that happens is that in our dance training at really young stage for some of us, not, all everyone, not everyone, but um, you're practicing how to um, demonstrate your obedience, like how to show that, um, yeah, if something's asked of you, I suppose it makes me think about kind of like reward, like do we dance because, and I mentioned this to you the other day, in our earliest experiences of dancing is there there must be this point in which like whoever's observing is like happy or sad with what you do and you're like oh if i do it this way they're happy and oh I, and it happens such a micro level that you're suddenly like moving because it elicits a response in someone and i can think of other times when i've been like a kid at home i would say this like flouncing around with fabric to kate bush like i feel like it was like for me, for the music, it wasn't an observed thing. So it wasn't in relation to being good or not. Um, and I think that even when we fight these things, they kind of follow us like ghosts through through our training and into our dance careers. 
um and yeah i mean that happens across all kinds of education like are you fostering your own interest or are you practicing an ability to look like you're interested (laughs) (laughs) for whoever's the teacher or whatever the subject is um and i think like i spoke to someone who was like a whiz at maths and went to university doing like higher maths and then was working in finance and like the whole track of her career was like laid out like then you do that then you do that then you're an apprentice and then you do you know and then she got to like I mean she was only like 20 nothing but she was like I am out like get me out get me on an island I want to do yoga I want to do like she managed to not kind of like go what is it that I really want to do it's like she was good at math someone goes you're good at math like, oh cool like that becomes a currency and then you're yeah living up to expectations so i'm just mentioning that happens not just in dance um and that's an easy track like if there's this kind of like i know becky was talking about this as well like if there's a kind of a bar set in our dance training we're like oh i know how to measure where i'm at which is what exams are for. Um, but then you're like, oh, but we're practicing an art form. So then it's not about, it's not like gymnastics or something. It's like, so then we get to our age, you know, middle age or not even. And you're kind of like, well, why am I doing any of this? Like, mm-hmm. who does it serve? Is it because I can make a choreographer see what they imagined and I can show it to them in my body or like, is about you and your interest and what you care about and how you're fostering that and your own practice. Is why I'm kind of glad that this term practice is like used so much because while I was training, I never, I only heard the word like not not that long ago or it wasn't like in the room. And that might be to the kind of dancing I was doing that I was a bit more like a jobbing dancer making shows rather than working with choreographers who met my own interests and I was developing something myself as a dancer. Um so i kind of just lost my train of thought a little bit but i think ultimately in because in a class even a company class we're reproducing some of the conventions of what we had at school even if it's just like facing everyone facing one direction and doing something like a foot exercise so many times i've worked with professionals and suddenly they kind of glaze over into being that 10 year old doing this kind of like foot combination and disappearing you know into kind of like i am now just feet um so it's like how to do some of those go through some of those exercises but propose them differently so that you can't revert back Mm. like i really remember doing a ballet class it was probably about 10 years ago but going i've really not i've got to actively not become the kid who did the ballet class and go into kind of like motor sometimes i think muscle memory is like the worst thing like not go back into these kind of like motor like i just glaze over and do the thing with my lower body it's like how can i be there and like imagine i've never heard the word plie before like or like really invest it with all the information i have now somehow so i think at the beginning of the week i've noticed before it's been a good thing to kind of just like articulate that you can be in relation to what is suggested. And it's not that you have to suddenly be consciously disobedient or reject it or like stylistically riff on your own version of everything. It's just notice if you slip into a place of receiving 
rather than like showing up and activating your own interest and seeing where it meets that um, invite. So, and that I'm not putting in a kind of this idea of a bar, like if it's like rather than like move like this, it's like, well, how do you want to move? Like that can even happen through set material somehow. Like I'm trying to look at how these things are not a binary that I might be able to lead an exercise, but you still have a degree of agency with like, how and when you do it where your attention is what you're conscious of or what you want to practice while you do that Mm. i'm just establishing the what in that circumstance but everything else is available to you um i just think we slip back into old modes because we're in that same similar setting um and you know obviously i talk from having trained in a kind of classical discipline for a long time and then I'm always in relation to it whether it's rejecting it embracing it I'm always in dialogue with it and I know other friends who just improvised as kids and then got into contemporary dance and they like have no relationship to that they're not even rejecting it and they kind of crave that kind of strange like fetishization of the body or something like that because they're not used to it so I have to remember how subjective some of this is um, and that we all come from different backgrounds into that shared space yeah um yeah yeah also like thinking of my then inside outside problem Mm. for me it's also something about the difference between showing and doing because you can give me a task and i can be completely interested in that task and doing it fully but it might look i don't know it might look like something else yeah or that that feeling when you're like okay i'm gonna demonstrate showing you that i do your task or like actually doing your task yeah and that might just look different so something that i love to do is to translate a uh a f- what would it be a form or look at, look across at other art forms so in theater the la like the no-no is like i want you to say the line like this she picked up the cup or whatever you know like you just don't do it it's called um oh no what's the term is it a line reading mm, i can't remember but it's like then the performer is in relationship to what they've heard you say how you know that's ringing in their ears so rather than like finding their own intention and mm. uh saying the line um as it makes sense to them they're in that moment in that dynamic after what was just said on that day in that place in that costume you know like dealing with like the impulse i suppose or the action that they're practicing that they're demonstrate not demonstrating that they are embodying say uh in dance we kind of line read all the time (laughs) so like how can you at once set the phrase but not do the line reading for the actor does that make sense Mm. Mm. So then I suppose that asks me to think about the principles of the body. So like, rather than like make this shape with the leg, it's like, oh, you are pressing with the foot. And because of the pressing of the foot, the weight transfers over there. So like, I think that's why I'm kind of slightly addicted to some of that postmodern language in the body, because it's dealing with logic. Mm. It's dealing with almost science. And I loved science as a kid. I was like really into it. So I feel like somehow it's like tapped into that kind of like, cause and effect or sequencing through the body or it's anatomical somehow it's not just like do this big undulating spine expressive thing because it's fucking cool it's like well what are we training then like in a class situation um 
And I suppose there's something about getting deeply into the function of the body that excites mm. me. So, so if I can, if I can remember to not just demonstrate the look of the thing, but guide you through the logic of the thing, so then you can find it in your own body. Um, then we are. Um, I'm just thinking back to, back to your showing, demonstrating. You can be, yeah, you can be doing the thing. You can be in the action rather than demonstrate the action for the viewer or for the teacher mm. somehow. And yeah, it will look different on different bodies. We all have different proportions and different strengths and alignments. And um, which is why even doing things in time together, sometimes I'm just like, this doesn't make sense because if we're letting our skull fall, that's going to be different for everyone. So mm. even though we have music, sometimes I don't want really dealing with counts. So there can be space for that and an invite to give attention to how long your body asks to do that particular move um, and and respond to that rather than catch up with everyone because we're off, you know, or yeah. or do what I did. Um it's good to talk about this. I kind of needed it. <laughs> it's like a self-reminder. Sorry, I'm just chatting to myself here. <laughs> mm, talking about the good student, I have this ending question that I ask all my guests. Mm. And uh, it's silly on purpose. Let us in on your thinking. What is a good dancer? Oh, I'm gonna do the sigh <laughs> that everyone else does. Oh. Yeah. I wonder. First thing that comes to mind is like, does it depend on context? Best answer for what? For what work? For what place? In what geography? Like, I can only talk from the perspective I have, or the taste that I have, and all those things kind of weigh in. Um, I think it really depends and I can talk about what dancers I'm drawn to I suppose and I think that there is something about this a kind of availability of the person inside the moving um, that means I can get to know someone or I feel like I can empathize with them because they are somehow available um and i really don't use this word vulnerable i think there's something problematic about it but i think there's something about a kind of trans a degree of transparency of like trusting or allowing yourself to be seen um and again that might i think that's to do with how you see how the ca the camera is not upon the body but you are the camera so how you see the space around you um for me as a way in. So I think those are some of the things I kind of try to practice in class. Um, and I think that there can't not be certain kind of like coded dynamic things that I enjoy watching in certain bodies um, that probably mirror some of my own interests because I think as we watch movement different mirror neurons are firing in our own body of like oh, I know how that feels so if I can see someone's spiral and it's really kind of clear then I'm feeling it in my own body as I watch so those are all real things that are happening um that that are you know very subconscious a lot of the time 
But I think then also, like, if we're making dances, then we are somehow flipping or mirroring, I would say, the society that they are in somehow. So I think about different kinds of bodies and diversity and the importance of, like, not... I mean, there's someone... <laughs> someone who like looked quite like me who was really keen to work with me and I really resisted for a long time because I was just like oh it just looks so narcissistic but <laughs> but they were really keen and they're a great dancer and so I gave in in the end and, and worked with this person quite a lot but I suppose like I'm constantly trying to like not um put my own body and my own self um into the space my first group with ordinary courage was like so diverse such a mix of people and i mean like on an energetic level not just like cultural and racial and you know all the other spectrums but just like from different histories and different kinds of dancers and um to find a cohesion with that group was quite complex somehow because our whole I concept of what dance was was quite different from each other so i think there is if you're forming a group there's something about a common language or conversation or a meeting point um that's important but i would want i mean i really like when an audience picks out everyone picks out a different dancer that they really identified with then i'm really feel like i'm doing my job somehow like that it's not that if i can make those help make those performers visible the audience will identify or see themselves in different people somehow so this role of like representation as much as the feeding of the process and different perspectives in the process. I think there's something important about how that um, spectrum of different kinds of dancers in a work enables different readings and different access points for different people to engage with the work. Um, so then that becomes a kind of conversation around style and aesthetic and you know, are you creating the movement? Is it generated in different ways? How do we embrace and celebrate and foreground different kinds of dancing within your own work? And I try to not ever really think about signature. So I'm kind of going, I there's, there's choreography, there's signature in the casting, there's signature in the design or the choice of music or when, how the work is edited together. Like that I'm not stylishly going like, I find people who look like me, I teach them my material then we make it into duets or whatever, or unisons. It's like, uh, how can I work against what, which is something which is a very UK thing. I don't think it's happening so much elsewhere, but for a long time through the noughties, you know, maybe it's shifting now, but like you'd find people generate a style and find people who were adept at assimilating or like copying really. I mean, a lot of my career was like copying other dancers or choreographers and being good at that. Um, so then you get a kind of like a generic language on stage um, and that can be, well, it produces a certain kind of dance. <laughs> and uh, I think it's important that we, yeah, move beyond that now. Or for me, it's important. It's not important for everyone, but um, who feels seen, who feels represented and how we as makers need to look beyond our own perspective somehow so really difficult question and a really like long and rambling answer perfect um, is there anything else that you would like to 
add or be asked or ask? Has anyone asked you that difficult question of what makes a good dancer? Yeah. Um, I try to say different things. But hmm, something that I get back to a lot is when I see a dancer that is like, I experience that they are affected by their own movements. Mm. Like they're not really in control or like there's an, something happens and they're like, okay. Like, yeah. I don't know, this, this, mm, yeah, this sense that they really experience this now and that they get affected by it. And from that, they go into the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love watching people have an experience. Yeah. You know, I think it's always meant like earlier on about indulgence somehow that there is like, I feel like I set up situations for people to have an experience of their body, whether mm. it's like you feel like you're in a roller coaster, your head is like never, <laughs> your skull's like on a journey and you're watching someone negotiate there at work. Like yeah. I really enjoy this kind of like being at work sense. I guess, again, it's shifting away from this kind of demonstration of the yeah. thing and crafting of the illusion of the thing rather than like being deeply inside it and and i recognize that sometimes as a teacher um that's it's not a refusal but it's like if you find a not a stubborn dancer but like someone who's going to give priority to that then that's great and mm. it's not about them doing what you just did or looking mm. like they're eager the whole time. They might be busy with their own thing and how to foster those environments where that can be the the main event. Mm. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Like, yeah, it's such a hard question. Like <laughs> it also thesis. excites me, like, if it's true that from the outside I can perceive your experience, then my issue with like performing in front of all the audience is also a bit like solved like yeah if if i can transmit my experience yeah to you while you watch like then then i'm good <laughs> yeah absolutely and I, i've just had this image of uh natalia osipova she's a russian ballerina who's dancing at royal ballet um and other places i think she's a guest but watching her do Giselle, like if you, I mean, this is my like, I say guilty pleasure. It's not really guilty. But sometimes I just go in a whole YouTube, like hole of just watching her do Giselle. Because it's absolutely extraordinary. It's mm. like somatic ballet. Like mm. she's absolutely living and breathing that character. And she's like totally sensorially engaged while she's doing this very specific outward, let's say, form. Um and then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is not about style. It's not about taste. It's not about a certain kind of dance. It's about the performer. Maybe it's about being given permission or taking permission for yourself to do that mm. and understanding that that is something that transmits and is relatable. And, yeah, this um, I mentioned it in class today, this teacher, Thomas Camp, who I did class with last week, a Feldenkrais teacher, was talking about how mirror neurons are fired when there is intention in the movement so if it's kind of like random anything i don't know without intention as the view the mirror neurons in the viewer is not as engaged or not fired as when there is a kind of like a sense intention idea yeah like in the dancer so i think that 
that somehow relates to me about giving value to your experience that that actually weirdly engages more with me as a viewer mm. I think this mm. is the thing mm. like it's such a kind of like paradox that to perceive selfishly in the best way as you move is something which translates more to a viewer and yeah yes yes that's it that's we that's solved the final it words. podcast <laughs> yeah, exactly. take that <laughs> great thank, thank you so much for thank joining you thanks so much for inviting me and yeah i'm excited to see who else you interview and where this goes yes and thank you whoever is listening thank you goodbye five six seven eight Oh, oh.